Welcome to the Brendan Burns Show. I'm Brendan Burns, and I interview and share the stories of high performers, happiness engineers, and people who have created the life that they deserve on their terms. I sit down with speakers, pro athletes, and entrepreneurs from all over the world who have chosen to live a life of fulfillment and joy instead of status or money. In each episode, we share actionable strategies that you can implement in your life, plus inspiration along the way. So come join me for this episode of The Brendan Burns Show. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Brendan Burns Show. Joining me today is Marissa Donnelly from sunny San Diego, California. Welcome to the show, Marissa. Hello. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm so glad we connected. I was reading some of your pieces on relationships that I saw online, some great articles. And before we get into all that, I'd love to just start out with hearing your background, your story, where you're from, how you got from where you were to where you are now. Sure. Um, So I went to school at a really small uh, university in Iowa, Waldorf University. And um, I was actually in the teaching track. So I was planning on being an English teacher, and I just had a passion for writing. I've always had a passion. And so while I was doing my um, student teaching and kind of working on all my teaching stuff, I built a bunch of blogs and just started to write for fun, because uh, that's really where my heart was, and sent out a bunch of articles to different places and had a viral piece got picked up by um, Thought Catalog. And so that began my Thought Catalog journey. I had a viral hit with them that um, kind of putting the the shoe in the door to get employed there. And so I worked as a staff writer and editor for Thought Catalog for three years. And in the meantime, just writing on my blogs and just really getting a passion for writing about relationships and different topics. Um, And now I'm full-time freelancing and actually just launched a business in July that's uh, related to what I did at Thought Catalog, which is working directly with contributing writers um, as an editor and just kind of helping people to find their voice, um, tutoring them in English and writing. So yeah, that's kind of my journey in a nutshell. <laughs> Congratulations, by the way, on the on the job. Thanks. So, so let's start with um, the the article that went viral on Thought Catalog. Tell us about that. So this was uh, the article was called "I Am Not a Netflix and Chill Kind of Girl," um, mm-hmm. and it was kind of when that phrase "Netflix and Chill" was really trendy, um, and I just saw it all over the place. Uh, you know, you hear it in songs, you see it on social media you see it everywhere and it just really bothered me because personally I felt like I didn't want to I feel like sometimes when things get trendy they become so big and then everybody kind of buys into that topic or buys into that thing like okay yeah this is cool this is normal and for me it just really I had a lot of personal pushback because I wanted to feel empowered to be kind of like hey I don't want to do that route and whether it meant you know I don't want to have like one night stands or I don't want to just be the type of person that's going to you know, hang out with somebody and, you know, watch movies and not really have like a real relationship. And so I felt really passionate about it. And so I put together the article. Um, and I think the feedback was kind of on both ends. There was a lot of people, especially women that really resonated and was like, yes, this is so me. I don't want to be seen as that type of person. I don't want to have, you know, random one night stands, you know, I want to have something real. And that's really what I was talking about in the piece. And then I had, um, people as well that were kind of like, well, you know, don't judge other people. And so it just provoked a lot of interesting conversation um, and kind of really opened my eyes to the fact that a lot of people 
felt the way I felt, even though I felt like I was really alone in my beliefs um, mm -hmm. from the people who are on the opposite end and said, you know, well, you know, empowerment is letting people do what they want. It just opened up um, my eyes to different perspectives and to making sure that, you know, I always am thinking about other people and not, you know, creating something that might step on somebody's perspective, but still honoring the way I feel and not feeling like I have to buy into something because it's a trend or because it's, you know, the quote norm. Mm, wow, that's awesome. And uh, going back a little bit to your past, you grew up, uh, where'd you grow up? I grew up in uh, suburban Chicago, Naperville area. Got it. And uh, did your parents, what was their relationship like? Or is it like today? Uh, good. I mean, they are still together. Um, I mean, everybody, as you get older, you have all your fights and your conflicts, but I've always respected them for staying together um, through it all. I think it's especially challenging now because my sister and I have both moved out and they're working and selling our the house we grew up in and just, you know, all the all the complications that come with, you know, getting older and having an empty nest. Um, right, right. So, and then, so parents are still together. Um, so I'm curious, like where your uh, passion for writing about relationships, is that from your own personal journey? Yeah, I think so. I think what really happened for me is I wanted to give a voice to the things that I felt that I didn't necessarily see online. That makes sense. And it kind of started with that Netflix and chill where I felt like there was a real like lack of empowering pieces on the opposite end of with like Netflix and chill in particular. I didn't read and find any pieces that were like, hey, I don't want to have a hookup, or hey, I'm going to empower myself by not sleeping around. Um, mm -hmm. I, I couldn't really find pieces like that, and it was something that I really resonated with, and I, I think it's in combination, too. Um, I have a Christian background, and so that that kind of fueled it a little bit, And but even when I was looking into, you know, like religious pieces, I feel like there's there's a very big extreme where it's like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm this way, and I'm religious, or I'm this way, and I'm completely like, no, do whatever you want. And I, I felt like there was no middle ground and I really wanted to kind of give myself a voice and give a voice to people, men and women who might feel the same way. So that's kind of what started me writing about topics like that. Um, and then personal experience with the relationships. Um, I built my blog in college and just had gone through a lot emotionally and just really wanted to create a space where that transparency, um, where I felt like I could express and be really transparent about those things. And I really found early on that there's such a need for that. Um, I think people just want to know that they're not alone in the emotions that they're feeling, whether in a relationship or post-breakup or you know, whatever. You just want to find somebody's work that you could resonate with and be like, yes, I get that. You know, I'm not alone in how I'm feeling right now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, if you're open to talking about it, what were those emotional things that you were going through? You know, I should warn you, I, I, had, uh, I had this guy on my podcast He's, uh, he's an author and a traveler, and he's got his own show. And he has this great relationship. And every time you go on Facebook, you see him with his, I guess now, wife, and they have a baby, and they go to Bali. And they're, it's just genuinely, they are very happy, and he's a great guy. And I invited him on my podcast. He's done probably 300 interviews, shows, podcasts. And I was the first one to get him. Nobody even knew he was divorced. And I got him to open up publicly for the first time ever about his divorce. And so for listeners, that's Derek Lodermilk, an earlier episode I did. And then I've had multiple people cry on this show. So 
just warning you. you can so it's all, getting real. Yeah, you, but you can always pass on anything, of course. Um, but I, I'd love to just dig in on that. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I, I've written about a lot of stuff. Um, it's a very fine line when you write about stuff like that because you're, your personal network and the people close to you probably know. Um, but I feel like when I write about very emotional things, I don't write in anger ever because I think that creates kind of a, a healthy distance. And um, I mean, just kind of putting space between myself and what I'm actually putting out there. So I'm not, so it's not like I'm writing to that person, you know, something so intimate that I wouldn't want to put online, if that makes sense. So yeah. to, not to skirt around the question, but um, no, I think uh, what really, I, what really pushed me to write about relationships in um, in the first place was a relationship I had in college with a man who I felt like my entire world shifted when I was with him. I feel like we grew up, we were very different people, and it was my first experience with someone who was so completely opposite of me, and that made it terrible, but it also made it amazing, and so it was the complications of that um, that really fired me up to write about, you know, are we supposed to be with somebody who's similar to us? Are we supposed to be with someone who's completely opposite? How do we know what's right? Um, and something that really was um, an eye opener for me in that relationship was how hard we were both willing to work to make it work, even though it was so damn complicated. Um, yeah. So I wrote about that a lot, just you know how I, I realized that love is supposed to be complicated because I think we have this idea, idea about love that, oh, when you're with the right person, everything's going to be perfect and it's going to make sense and it's going to be easy. And it was that relationship that showed me, no, it's absolutely not going to be that way. And even though I don't think that, you know, things eventually fell apart and it was really painful and I don't think that we were right for each other. It still taught me a lot about what love really is, which is imperfect people coming together and all the complications of that. Mm, wow. So a couple of follow-ups on that. What uh <laughs> rubbed hands together, <laughs> mischievous grin. <laughs> so I want to talk about like actually being in a relationship and how to work through those inevitable imperfections and how those can create conflict. But for all the for all the single ladies out there, the single guys, all the people listening who are not in a relationship, given your experience, your past, your relationships, all the writing you've done, what do you think are the most important things that people should be looking for? in a partner and what do you think are the big misconceptions of what you see a lot of people are looking for that maybe aren't the right things that they should be focusing on? It's an awesome question. Um, I think for me, the biggest thing I've learned is finding somebody who has the same drive as you. Um, it doesn't have to be the same goals. It doesn't have to be the same, you know, long-term really. I, I think, it can be very different, but I think in terms of drive, I think that's important. Uh, for me, I found pretty much all of my past relationships that didn't work out, I was not matched in drive with the person I was dating. Um, mm. And so for me, it just didn't work because I, I, especially as I've been like working on, you know, establishing myself as a writer and building a business. And I've just, I'm, I wouldn't say a workaholic, but I work very hard. And so it's important to me to be driven and to have goals and to be continually moving forward. Um, and I tend to date people the opposite because it's a nice balance to have someone who's more relaxed and who 
takes life day by day and goes to flow. Um, but that's also not, it doesn't quite work with me. So I think it's important to find somebody who matches the drive in terms of, you know, if you value hard work, you need someone who also values hard work. Because if you have someone who doesn't value hard work, you're never going to match in the sense of like what you inherently down to the core value. Um, and that is something I think we brush off. I, I, I know I did. It was like, oh, well, this person is fun. This person is relaxed. This person makes me feel good. But I never really got to the nitty gritty of like when it comes to push and shove, is this person willing to work hard and match? Because if you think about in terms of long relationships and potential marriages and things like that, having kids, you know, building a family, you need somebody who's going to match you in terms of like the fundamental parts of like what you believe about work um, and about like, you know, pursuing passions. I think those things are really important. Mm -hmm. um, and then obviously finding someone that, you know, is loyal. I think loyalty is kind of a given. I think we know that, but it's important to recognize early on if you can't trust somebody or if there's some kind of shadiness or maybe you feel like they're not, you know, being forthcoming or you don't feel like you can be yourself around them. Those are all like really big signs that I think we need to pay more attention to instead of attaching ourselves to people that we don't necessarily feel comfortable around or that we don't necessarily trust. Mm -hmm. those are too. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really interesting thing that I've read about more as, as being, you know, obviously a big problem in relationships is a lack of fidelity and affairs and everything. Uh, I'm curious what you think about this because there are people who say, you know, uh, like if someone is cheating, obviously, you know, they're very much in the wrong and they should either leave the relationship or be honest or, or not, not be unfaithful. But then you also have people out there who say, you know, the other partner is in some way responsible potentially because if the, if the partner who's straying is not getting their needs met, then, you know, it's, it's not like it's the other person's fault entirely or even at all. Right. I'm curious what you think on that breakdown and um, just kind of learning. I'm, I'm learning more about this as I've gone through some relationship coaching certification. I going through the uh, John Gottman program. I did level one training and, and this came up a lot because the Gottman certification is, is very focused on couples counseling. Um, so it's interesting. And then, you know, there are other personal development thought leaders who, who also tend to be pretty forgiving in the sense of uh, someone straying saying it's the, there was the relationship not being in a good place or the partner not meeting their needs. I'm curious where you fall on that spectrum. So as you're talking about that, I'm thinking of something else that I think is really important with relationships. And I can't believe I didn't mention it, but communication. I think from the very start, you have to find somebody that you and it goes along with, you know, feeling comfortable, but just somebody that you can communicate with, because if you're not able to talk about, you know, what's bothering you or, you know, whether or not needs are met or anything like that, then it, your relationship's not going to go anywhere. Um, mm -hmm. And I think to what you were saying about the cheating, I think it's almost a case by case basis in a sense, because it, there's no way to say, oh, it's completely, you know, it's because of this or it's because of this. Um, so I think it's a case by case basis, meaning if there is no communication and one person feels neglected or feels like their needs aren't met or feels like the other person isn't respecting them and then they go and cheat, you know, in a case by case basis, is it wrong? Did this person, you know, did the other person really abandon them? Um, and so that, that to me boils down to communication is to be able to find yourself with someone that you can say, Hey, you know, 
I feel like we haven't connected or I feel like you are, you know, you don't care about me, you know, whatever it is. Cause if you have that communication, then that will keep both partners, you know, working towards a common goal as opposed to one kind of drifting away. Right. Yeah. That that's, it's so interesting. Cause what I've noticed from some of my own um, personal experience, like as a relationship, I, I do a lot of different coaching. I do business coaching, life coaching, and I guess relationship would fall within that life section. And uh, yeah, what I've seen is like a lot of people come to me and they're like, Brendan, my partner always does this, or they always do that. They never do this. And, and I'm like, why are you telling me? I mean, yes, I'm your relationship coach, so I get it. But yeah. you know, it's these people, they're in these conflicts in their relationships and then they go and complain and talk to everyone about it except their partner. Yeah. So it's just interesting, like you said, how do you figure out a way to get people to, so how do you get people to come together on that front? I think it's just kind of opening the lines of communication and just, it's, it's vulnerability, I think, too. Because if you are feeling neglected or if you're feeling like, know your partner's doing something or you know whatever it is are you willing and able to be vulnerable enough to say hey this is bothering me or hey this is hurting me um and then as the on the receiving end of that are you vulnerable enough to be like okay I might not agree with you but I'm going to listen to what you have to say and I'm going to think about it or you know I think it's kind of putting our guard down too because to tell somebody that they're hurting you you have to be you have to put your guard down and kind of put your pride to the side and say okay I'm really hurt and then on yeah. the receiving end of that you have to put you know get your pride out of the way and say okay maybe I am being a certain way maybe I am right. hurting you and that's hard to do nobody wants to admit that they're hurting somebody or that they're being hurt I mean those are just they're vulnerable things and we push back on that we don't want to feel that way yeah you know it reminds me of like an old relationship I was in where I was in denial about my negative contributions to the relationship and I remember being confronted about it and staying in denial and you know ultimately the relationship ended and it, it took the relationship ending for me to actually face the reality um, and then but it was beautiful because it set me on this amazing journey that was actually the crux and the beginning of everything for me in terms of personal development changing careers changing my life getting help um, but is there any way to get people to listen to their partners or to themselves or to face reality without some kind of catastrophe happening? Because, so I, you know, I've been to these personal development seminars but, uh, and you meet a lot of people who get there and they're 40, 50, 60 years old. Had, why are you here? Got divorced. A child died. Lost my business. You know, and it's like, okay, and then that's great because then they can sort of figure things out. But what about like the mediocre situations where they're not in a catastrophe or, you know, they're heading in a bad way? How do you turn that around before it all blows up? Yeah, I don't know if there's an easy answer for that. I wonder if it's just, you know, getting, talking to people, communication, you know, opening up, um, you know, speaking to people, you know, like life coaches or relationship coaches and just really opening the door. I think people are afraid to get help in that sense. You know, we're afraid to have counseling. We're afraid to, you know, get help even for like things as serious as mental illness. So maybe just kind of breaking down the stigma that getting help is wrong um, and just making it something that is more openly acceptable. That could be a start because, you know, we, we put on a front, we want to be, everything's okay. Everything's great. Like, like the person you had on you know, your podcast who 
hadn't even come out, you know, about the divorce yet. It's just, we want to put on this front that everything's okay. We don't want to, you know, show the raw parts of ourselves. So I think yeah. if we break some of those stigmas down and we make it okay to be raw, make it okay to be a mess, make it okay to get help. Maybe that can. And how are you able to, to do that in your own life? And, and because like, it's interesting when I, when I had to go inside of myself and, and admit all these things, not only to myself, but I had to come out and share them with my friends and my family and say, uh, look, like as I went on this exploration, I realized um, I was working in the wrong career. Um, I was abusing food, alcohol, travel, spending money. I was doing all these things that were really unhealthy. And when I told everyone about it because I wanted to get help and I wanted to change my life, um, part of it I feel is being honest with your your support system. But I noticed some people were like very supportive, but also very like shocked that you know I was this like damaged person, and a lot of them were abusing drugs, alcohol, gambling, and didn't even realize like what they were doing was problematic. So how how were you able to be vulnerable and take responsibility and come out in your own way when you see a lot of people not doing it for themselves? Well, first, I don't think that I really have a total handle on it. I don't think I'm perfect by any means. I think it's always been easier for me to write because when I write, I don't think about people that might be reading it. <laughs> and so that's kind of literally created a distance between my personal thoughts. Um, and I really do. Whenever I sit down to write something vulnerable, I just think, okay, this is, no one's ever going to read this. And it kind of creates that, that boundary between my actual feelings and the receiving end. Um, but yeah, I don't think I have a handle on it. I think it's just as I've grown and as I've written a lot of things, it's just been a really cleansing experience to kind of write, um, to write about things. And I think too, when I'm, when I'm writing something, it's also like a reflection. Um, so it's teaching me as I'm writing it in a, in a sense too. Um, yeah, and I mean, I'll be honest, it's not like I write every single thing down. It's not like I, you know, I wrote, oh, I made this mistake. Let's write about it and share with the world. Um, yeah. You know, definitely not. But, <laughs> um, some of the things that I've written have been like the biggest lessons. And as I'm writing it and as I'm learning it, even through writing it, I just feel like my writing career has really, a lot of it, um, the relationship aspect has been a lot about, I don't want other people to experience the things that I'm experiencing, or if they are experiencing, I just kind of want to shed light from a personal experience because I think about the things that have resonated with me the most, and it's just other people being really vulnerable about the things that they've been through. And so I kind of want to just like return that cycle and put stuff back into the world. Um, mm. But I don't think, you know, I don't think there's an easy answer. I don't think I'm perfectly vulnerable all the time, uh, but I do try to make an effort because I think that's where we really develop the most connections to other people. Um, I've noticed it, especially with like social media, with Instagram in particular. When I just, <laughs> yeah, when I just I share just things. About this. Yeah. <laughs> when I share things that are just really real and raw, um, even if they are kind of messy or embarrassing or whatever, I feel like that's when I get the most response from people. And I really get to talk to people who will message me and be like, hey, I'm really going through something. And that to me is just so powerful because it's just, I took a second to be vulnerable, more vulnerable today. And then people are really receptive of that because they just, we just want to know that we're not alone. I think that's the biggest thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's a huge thing with like, 
self-compassion and love and connection. And like, I, I feel like it's been so exacerbated with social media, but even before that, it was like, you know, you walk around, everyone's putting their first best foot forward. How are you? I'm great. Like you yeah. always outside. I remember I have a cousin who lives in Los Angeles, who's a therapist. And I saw her a few years ago and we were talking about this and she said, Brendan, we compare our insides to other people's outsides. And, you know, when you look at somebody you're like, oh yeah, they have a good job. They have a good relationship. They're, they're all fine. Like, but I'm all fucked up. I'm this crazy person. And, you know, it's like, and then you spend five minutes with that person and, you know, their relationship's mess and their job, they're, you know, they're stressed out all the time. Not to say like, oh, I'm all bad and they're all bad too. And this is great, but it, it's important to be realistic about the truth of the situation and where people are and not compare ourselves. And, and then on the Instagram side, I used to be that guy who was like, Hey, look at me. I'm traveling here and I'm eating this amazing food. And my Instagram was all travel, all food, all fun. And it was so shallow. And then I remember being at a personal growth event in California, like two years ago. And I looked at the homepage of my website and it was something like travel and eat well, it said. And I was like, no, like I have to change this immediately. And like during the seminar, I changed my whole business, my whole vision to being much more vulnerable, much more open, much more oriented around this type of stuff. And that's when like everything took off for me because of the authenticity that was there and the way it resonated with people out there. Yeah. So it's crazy how everything can change when we stop trying to put a front. <laughs> I know. It's like we do all this work to try to get people to like us or to be successful. And we, we put, you know, it's, it was funny, um, Ed Norton, the actor, uh, was being interviewed and they were asking him like, what, you know, what makes you such a good actor? And, you know, how do you act? And how do you learn how to do this? And he was just like, he's like, I think everyone is an actor. Everyone knows how to act because what percentage of people are totally authentic and totally themselves all the time? It's like, you have work, Brendan, or you have relationship, Marissa, yeah. you have family, you know, Marissa with her parents. And like, we're all actors, deep, you know? So I, I thought that was like a really funny point. Um, but anyway, to come back to like the relationship stuff, which I, you know, is how I originally found you and what I, I think is really interesting. So we sort of talked a little bit about kind of what to look for in a relationship. And I love what you said about kind of matching the drive. That's really important. Um, with, you know, with the year we're in now and, and all these online gizmos and apps and swipes and, you know, what do you, what do you think is the best way to meet someone now? Because they're now saying that more people are meeting online than in real life. Now it crossed the 50% threshold. Um, yeah. So more people now meet online than in real life for relationships. Um, you have some people who say, nah, the apps are crazy, like go to a market, go to a yoga class, go meet someone in like a like-minded setting. And then you have other people who are like happily married and they met on Tinder. So yeah. you know, what do you <laughs> tell people in that situation? So I, I don't know. I think it all depends on the purpose or like the intention behind the online connection. Because I mean, we do live in a digital world and I don't think we should deny that. I think that's it's made it easier because I mean, finding somebody, the odds of finding somebody at like a grocery store and stuff like that. I mean, it's hard, you know? Um, and I am totally speaking from a bias cause I actually met my current boyfriend at a bar ironically, but it's such <laughs> like a, it's such a funny story because you don't really meet people in real life settings anymore. And especially mm -hmm. like 
I, I laugh about this all the time because I'm just not the type of person to ever meet anyone like at a bar setting. I like, I'm going to a bar to have some drinks with friends, not looking for, you know, anything, just having a good time. And it was like, I fell into this amazing person at a random bar. So it's just so weird. Um, <laughs> so I fully acknowledge that the odds of that are very low. Um, and while I think it's super important to get out there because you can meet people in real life situations, like you said, like a yoga class, like, you know, the gym, et cetera. Um, I think that should be first and foremost, but sometimes it's not always realistic because I'm going to a gym. I'm not looking to find a boyfriend. I'm working out and then I'm going home, you know? So it's, you know, it's, so it's hard. I mean, and if someone's going to hit on me at the gym, I'm probably going to be annoyed because I'm trying to work out. So the odds of like, you know, the odds of meeting people in those situations, um, doesn't always pan out, but, um, I still think we should do them. I still think we should try to, you know, open up as much in-person you know, contact as we possibly can. Uh, but then with the online stuff, I mean, we live in a social world. Social media is a big thing. So I'm not like knocking on, you know, dating apps or anything. I just think it needs to be one of the most important things about using a dating app should be, hey, I met you. You look great. Let's meet in person. You know, let's, I think we lose so much when we like message back and forth of these apps. Like instead of asking all the questions that we would ask in person on an app, why don't you meet somebody and be like, oh, okay, I'm interested in you. Let's meet in person. Yeah. Have all this weird online communication, and then you go to meet in person. You've kind of already talked about a lot of the intro stuff that you would, and now the date's awkward because you don't know what to talk about, and that's not <laughs> how it should be. Yeah. And it, it's just hard though because my biggest pushback with with dating apps is so, and like I talked about this on my podcast like quite a few times, but I think what we really lose out with the with dating apps is we're judging people by photos. And like, if I think about the most important people in my life and like the most amazing like friendships I have, it's because I, of the, the people and who they were, not necessarily what they looked like. You know what I mean? And it sounds yeah. so stupid when I say that, but like, it's really such like a, one of my best guy friends, you know, I'm not attracted to in the slightest, but I have the best relationship with him. And it's just funny because if I was pursuing, you know, if I were looking for somebody on a dating app, I would have not swiped right or whatever on him because I just don't like, I'm not attracted to him, but his personality is amazing. And so it just, it's crazy to me that like, if I were looking to find somebody on a dating app, I might not have even considered this person who's now one of like the greatest people in my life. And so that for me is just like, oh my gosh, we're missing out on so much with stupid swiping because we're just judging off pictures. Yeah. And then in real life, I mean, I don't know if your experience with dating apps, but I've, you know, I've gone on a couple dates before I found my current boyfriend and it was just like the worst experience because it was like, oh, this person's attractive. But then I met them in person and I was just like, they're like too attractive. Like it's weird. I, you know, like it was just like a weird thing. It was like, oh, I swiped because I thought they were good looking. But then when it came down to it, like I need to be attracted to somebody's personality. And so that's what I lost out so much on the dating apps. And I was just like, forget it. This sucks. <laughs> but, yeah. but I think yeah. that's just like, we have to keep that in mind, you know, that it's not about the looks as you know, that sounds so obvious, but it's so real. And then just meeting in person, you know, it's fine. You want to find people online. That's, that's fine. But meet in person, get to know who they really are. Be safe, obviously. But yeah, the only way you're going to figure out if somebody's right for you is if you meet them in person and not message back and forth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's like this digital world we live in and you go from chatting a bunch on the app to just texting a lot to Snapchat to whatever it's like you said, yeah. just 
get in real life and see if there's a real connection between you and that person. And, you know, one thing that I think is really interesting, there's a book that I like called Attached by Amir Levine, all about attachment styles and relationships. And he basically says that there are three attachment styles. There's the secure, open, warm, into intimacy, and secures are obviously mostly in relationships. And then you have the avoidance and the anxious. And the avoidance are the ones who are afraid of intimacy, and the anxious are the ones who are open to intimacy, but generally the ones who obsess and ruminate and freak out and overanalyze. And so it's interesting because even though secures represent probably 50% of the population, uh, they represent a much smaller percentage of the dating pool. Because let's say, you know, there's 300 million Americans and there's 150 million secures, but 100 million of them or more are in relationships. So, yeah. so when you go out there um, and you are secure, you're going to find yourself interacting with a lot of avoidance and anxious. And the avoidance are the ones who are going to want to just text and not meet up and not be vulnerable. So that's something to be careful of because you want to not waste time with someone who can't really commit. Yeah. And then on the other side are the anxious who want to really commit and go really serious really fast because they're in general um, anxious people, people with the anxious attachment style generally have lower self-esteem, lower self-worth, self-love. So they're looking for that relationship to fill in a void that they haven't addressed themselves, which leads me to the next question that I wanted to ask you. That's a good segue here, which is especially when either you're anxious or you're dating an anxious or the worst case where you have two anxious people, um, very often the relationship can get very serious very fast. And it's not always a bad thing if, you know, it's a good, if it's the right fit and both people are on the same page, but what are your thoughts on dating and kind of how fast or slow um, a couple should progress? Like, is it crazy to go on an international trip six weeks into a relationship? Is it crazy to move in or propose in six months? Like, what are your thoughts on all of these things? It's, I feel like it's one of those things that's, kind of case by case. Um, but I guess my biggest response to that is what's the rush? Um, you know, like on one hand, you know, we do have a, a limited time on this earth and it's, you know, you never know when your last day is. So I'm, you know, obviously, absolutely like jump into things that feel right. But I think we also need to think about, you know, what's the rush? Like, do I need to like, lock this person down forever you know do I need to like really you know do all of this right away or can I kind of take the time to do it um I don't think there's like a necessary like this is the right amount of time before you do this or um you know this is the you know you're supposed to date this amount of months or years before you get engaged I mean I don't I think that's silly to kind of have a timeline on it but I think um it has to be what's right for the people involved um also consider you know you don't have to rush into things. And then, I mean, it's kind of like a trial and error thing too. Um, I dated a guy for like a couple weeks and then went on a trip with him and it was an absolute disaster. Um, we didn't go international, thank God. Why was it a disaster? It was the absolute worst experience. Basically, we were in Vegas and uh, he just was upset that I was spending money on buying him drinks because it was his birthday, because I guess 
he didn't want to, you know, really like party, but I'm like, well, why did we go to Vegas? And why are you like, it was just a mess. But anyways, I ended up crying on the strip and I, it was just like the worst experience in the world. And I was like, why did I come here? I need friends. I want to go home. Um, so it was awful, but I, I feel like in the same breath, like I really, I don't regret that trip because it, it taught me so much about myself and like how I need to feel empowered to like stand up for myself more. And like, I mean, it was just an awful situation, but like after that, I was like, I'm never going to be treated like this again. I'm never going to let somebody like make me cry on the strip in Vegas ever again. And so yeah. like, I think that's something we have to keep in mind too, that if, you know, if we feel like we're doing, you know, if, are we rushing or whatever, you know, there's not a timeline for that. And, but sometimes things are trial and error. Like if you feel like, oh, this is a great idea. I want to move in with my significant other. You know, some people might be like, oh, it's way too early, but you feel like it's right. I mean, do it. And the worst thing that can happen is that it doesn't work out. And now you've learned from it. Um, I mean, it's a little different when it comes to like, you know, getting engaged or married, but um, you know, with these other decisions, it's just, you really have to weigh out, like, does it feel right? Do I feel pressured to do this? That's a big thing. I mean, if you feel pressured to do something or you're not really sure and you're like, oh, but I don't want to like make them upset. So I'll just do it. That kind of stuff. Like listen to yourself and listen to what you really want to be. Don't be persuaded by another person because you think like, oh, they love me or something. So I should do this. That's really, really important point for whoever's listening right now, because I've worked with a lot of clients who come to me <clears throat> and they're either getting divorced, they are divorced, they're in some kind of shit storm. And you, you say to them, um, you know, you look at someone and they're in the midst of an affair or they're just in a really bad place and they have to leave this relationship. And they'll say to me, Brendan, I knew on our second date or I knew three months in that this was not my person. And it's yeah. seven years, seven years later. And you're saying, why did you marry that person? And it's like you said, either it's, it's either the, um, I mean, it could be any number or multitude of different situations, but often it's like you said, either the, I feel bad. I don't want to upset that person. You know, you don't want to deal with their negative reaction, which is some form of either like codependency or fear of dealing with an emotional situation. So you don't want to upset them or bother them. But then you also see people who, again, have the self-esteem, fear, self-worth issues where they're afraid that, you know, they've, they've invested so much into this relationship and to start over and to be alone and the fear of not finding a new partner. But like, you have to think long term. And even if you've invested yeah. five years, if you know it's the wrong person, get out. You know, and, and it's yeah. really hard. And I deal, I probably deal with that more than anything else is people who are in the wrong relationship and they're afraid to leave and they don't want to give up companionship in the good times, even though it could be a totally toxic relationship. Yeah. But I, I see that also with, with even the business coaching that I do. Brandon, I'm in this job and my boss is so insane. She drove her husband to commit suicide. And I'm like, leave. Yeah. And yeah, no, this is yeah. a real situation. And I'm like, get the hell out. And they're like, no, but like I have healthcare. And I'm like, yeah. healthcare, she's just gonna kill you. You don't even need healthcare. So it's really interesting how people, and to your point about when you were in Vegas, um, how people sacrifice their own needs. They don't stand up for themselves. They don't set boundaries. It's just really interesting how all the psychology behind this stuff plays out and can you know cause problems down the road. 
yeah whether it's just like you don't want to appear a certain way or you just want to fit into the mold of oh I'm easygoing I think that was for me it was like oh I'm easygoing and I'm fun and this and that and like I don't want to you know you asked me to go on this trip and I don't want to disappoint you and the biggest thing for me was I didn't want to you know it was his birthday so I felt like oh I don't want to be selfish and then right ironically it became I was being the selfish one because I was trying to get him to enjoy his birthday I don't know <laughs> crazy <laughs> yeah that that's it's a really interesting point, um, and I write about this in my own business about kind of the people pleaser and not and a lot of people who are afraid to confront the vulnerability and the reality of setting boundaries and saying no, and rather than face that pain, right? Because saying no to someone, walking away from like you're going to have a big negative reaction, and people don't want to face that. So what they do is they justify it by saying. I'm chill, I'm flexible, I'm relaxed, I don't want to be selfish, but you actually are being selfish and you're hurting yourself and your partner in those situations. Right, because you're not communicating. was like the biggest thing in a nutshell. He didn't communicate his side, which was, hey, I don't actually want to party. I just want to like, you know, do whatever. And I didn't communicate like, hey, this is like really making me upset that you're treating me like this, judging me. So yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So we talked a little bit about the stigma of, you know, either seeing a counselor, getting help or being vulnerable. Uh, you know, with with all these relationships out there, about half of them, half of like official marriages will end in divorce and you know, there's a lot of dysfunction out there. How do you how do you get people excited about this stuff or like in a non taboo way? Because I remember I you know, I was in a relationship years ago and I remember first sort of discovering all of this stuff and I was so excited about it. Like I thought personal development, self-improvement, I was just so pumped because I saw this as just a way to really experience like a magnificent relationship and a magnificent life. And my partner at the time, she was like very, not so against it immediately, but as I was like growing and changing and being more vulnerable, I think it was kind of freaking her out. And she didn't want to be vulnerable herself, which ultimately was why I left the relationship was because I was changing and growing and she wouldn't face herself, her issues. Um, but I remember like finding an amazing counselor who I worked with for a bunch of years and I was so excited about it. And she said to me, Brendan, um, you know, when are you going to end it? When are you going to stop working with her? Because my girlfriend at the time didn't want other people to know that like I was in therapy because she saw that as some form of like being broken. And I even remember someone else asking me like, Hey, Brendan, like, how's your therapy going? Like, are you fixed yet? And I was just like, are you crazy? That's, that's a funny question. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I, I think we are seeing like more blogs, more, more good Instagram accounts, more of this content being more mainstream, but you know, I guess, what have you seen in terms of your writing? Like who, who follows you? How do you get your stuff out there to a wider audience? Um, I mean, I use a lot of social media and with the start of my business, just being able to reach people in different levels, um, just in terms of, you know, being a writing coach. And I think with, with writing coach comes also a lot, like, you know, a little bit of like inspiration and life coaching, because when you're writing, you're being vulnerable. And so it's kind of bridging the gap between like, Hey, I want to write this really vulnerable piece, but I also want to work on myself. Um, and so that's kind of, it's almost been kind of like lumped in one. And so that's how I've been like connecting with people. I just see like the most, 
vulnerable pieces of mine are the things that people really resonate with. And so that's been my experience of just being able to like work with people who just will send me messages and be like, oh, this really related to me or this really like, this really like spoke to me. Um, and I think that's kind of like the slow way to break the stigma is just by opening doors and just trying to talk to people because it, for me, it's just like the most incredible thing when someone will message me on Instagram and be like, hey, you know, can I talk to you about this situation? And it sucks because I don't always have the time to answer every single message, but I think that's kind of where we can start breaking the barriers. I mean, I'm not a therapist and I, I talk about that all the time, you know, like I don't have all the answers, but um, I'm passionate about writing and sharing my heart. And if I can, you know, use that to talk to somebody and maybe help them just to know that they're not alone, I think that's where we can start to break those barriers. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember coaching someone on how, like, she was asking me, Brendan, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do these Facebook lives for my business and I don't have the right software and I need the right camera and I need the right streaming tool. And I need, and I was like, is that really the issue? And like you were saying, <laughs> yeah. as, a, as a writing coach, it turned out that she was really afraid to be vulnerable and put herself out there and what other people would think of her and led her through this amazing intervention where she cried and released it all in front of a big group too. It was an event I did here in New York. And it was just really powerful to see like what's possible when you can break through that for people. So how do you, when you're dealing with that with someone as a writing coach or just anyone you're helping, how do you help facilitate that openness in someone? Cause it can be very scary for them. I think it's just kind of breaking it down. Like you said, figuring out what the root, like what, what's bothering them. What's really the, the core because like you said, with, with that woman, it wasn't about not having the right software. It was about the fear. Um, if you can get to that fear and just kind of break that fear open and also show people that everybody has fear, um, that's the biggest thing. And then also that people don't have to conquer all of that in one day. You know, I think that's like a huge thing too. You don't have to, you know, walk away and be completely understood. I mean, self-love and finding yourself is a continual journey and it's something that we're always going to be working on and you're going to learn one thing and then it's going to change what you thought before. You're going to go through something and it's going to shift. And I think people want to be like, oh, I figured myself out. Um, but you don't really get to that point. It's just kind of like a, like a revolving door as you learn and grow. And so mm -hmm. when people understand that, then it can be a lot more acceptable to be like, okay, I'm, you know, in this place right now, or I'm a mess right now, or I'm, you know, doing this, you know, it just kind of breaks that down and kind of combats against that fear and allows for people to really work. Uh, yeah, I find that people, that 100%, and I find people are just so hard on themselves. Like I, one of the, one of the articles that I really like that you wrote for, uh, you wrote for, it showed up on Huffington Post, but it said it was through Thought Catalog, was the one about uh, a broken heart doesn't mean it was all for nothing. Yeah. And I really feel like people, for example, when they come out of a relationship, turn right on themselves immediately. And yeah. we make ourselves our own worst enemy. And that is just going to continue that pattern of then probably choosing another unhealthy relationship or some other issue manifesting rather than being there for ourselves and giving ourselves like self-love and, and yeah. telling ourselves that everything's okay and we don't need to be perfect and that other people are going through this as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
So anyway, uh, this was an awesome conversation. Where can people find you if they want to hear and learn more? So I have a website. Um, it's just marissadonnelly.com. It kind of has like all the information and um, just like pretty much organizes everything that I have. Um, my most vulnerable work I have on a blog called Word and Soul. So it's just word and soul, S-O-L-E dot com. Um, and that's just kind of my journey and musings as I've gone along. Um, but yeah, um, Instagram, Facebook, connect on social media. Yeah, I'm kind of all over the place. So yeah, and if you're interested at all in writing coaching or um, learning more about that, I uh, that, you can find that through my website and through my social media as well. I'm working on the website for the business as we speak. So that's going to awesome. be a good adventure. <laughs> yeah you're in so just for the listeners your instagram is underscore marissa donnelly one r one s two n's two l's yes <laughs> yes <laughs> awesome well thanks again so much for coming on the show and i'll talk to you soon yeah thanks for having me it was a blast